0: to join at oldmarketingschool.com learn go to oldmarketingschool.com learn to apply for the next cohort of Old marketing school certification hey legendary human yes i'm talking to you love the show why not joining hundreds of creatives already part of our collective for monthly masterminds challenges master classes and so much more we help creatives make a positive impact in the world with their message and their content So give your creative work the visibility that it deserves. Find out more about how to get involved in the show notes of this episode. Hello, and welcome to Make an Impact Show, a podcast run by Creative Impact Co. Our mission is to help creatives grow their business, hone their marketing, and share their stories by outstanding content. Hi team, welcome to our latest episode of Make an Impact Show. My name is Fab and I'm the founder of Creative Impact and I'm here with Amy today. Hi Amy, how are you? Hey, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm great, thank you so much. I'm so excited about this episode today. Well guys, I hope you are excited as much as we are to be back and as you probably have noticed, we're back with a completely different name. So you're like, who are you guys? Um, which was a very exciting process that we went through last year. One of the reasons why we took such a long break as well. Um, and I thought the best way to start when it comes to getting some of our guests in was to get a guest that also has experienced rebranding, uh, which was the lovely Anna from Up Circle. Um, to be honest, I think a lot of people underestimate what rebranding is. I don't know how you felt because obviously you were a bit more receiving end. I was doing a lot of, yeah. <laughs> some of the practical things, but... Yeah. I think it makes you realize how important it is the messaging of what comes across and how you speak to people as
1: well. And yeah, it's what you want to be remembered for. It's what you want people to connect you with. So I think it makes you really have to think about what you want to be known for and really solidify your values and your beliefs.
0: And I guess it's also making sure that you feel like there's a legacy element to who you are. I think that's a big thing that came with us as well. Like I'm looking at health bloggers community and realizing that, it was hard for us to um making that jump and actually make it into something that could be for the next 20 years i think that was a big uh, wake-up call at least for me obviously because i yeah. i launched this thing so that's mm-hmm. what it was yeah. but it was nice to get you guys also in with like somebody who came afterwards and has been experiences in a different way um, yeah So thank you so much for that. And also, I think the name was the most painful thing, wasn't it? I find. Yes,
1: yeah, really, words say so much. And you kind of want a few, like, really catchy title, catchy name. And yeah, that was probably the hard, well, one of the hardest bits for sure.
0: And it's kind of funny as well, because I remember how hard we were thinking. And, like, we wanted really to know what we want to associate with that first thing they come to think. And the funny thing is that what everybody said, especially when you were with us at the brainstorming, Mm -hmm. everybody said don't don't take out the avocado, which we didn't.
2: So (laughs) (laughs) that
0: was my way not to um how can I say like cheat on everyone and make them feel like we betrayed them. I was like, no, the avocado stays.
1: Yeah, something recognizable for sure. Exactly. And you know, it's kind of funny
0: because when I talked to Anna in a couple of seconds you hear this as well it's a big thing that came with what they were called, which is Optiat, which yeah. uh, she said is a handful to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> I to delighted to say it. And I think that, and I will like to you what you think as well, cause you work with them, obviously not just with us, but also in other ways. Mm-hmm. I just find that up circle, she was talking about why everything made sense. And I just think that when you look at the brand right now, and if you check them out in our up circle on social, everything is a lot more tied in and everything kind of makes sense with what the brand is about.
1: Yeah, I think so. It really, it kind of tells their story. Their products are upcycled. They believe in it. They believe in this kind of secular kind of system, which kind of all encompasses that. And I did like Optiat. Um, Obviously, it's stood for can't exactly remember the words it stood for but that she says it, it by the way. <laughs> yeah it was difficult to remember it's up circle it's clear, it's really crisp, it's easy to remember and I think that's something that's really important. And yeah the branding just goes really well with that.
0: Exactly. Uh, oh by the way I do remember what it is. One person's trash is another person's treasure.
1: That's it. I couldn't think the P I was like one man's like, <laughs> Yeah there you go. That's it. <laughs>
0: But no, and, you, and you're right, like the values, it's kind of always at the forefront almost of the name and it makes everything yeah. so much easier to understand. So yeah. that's a lot of what we talk about today, guys. So I hope you enjoy that. We also want to talk a bit more about single-handedly managing social media because that's what Anna still does. She's one of the co-founders and she's with me today. So mm-hmm. uh, strap in because it really puts a lot of perspective into the growth of a company and things that you want to let go of or not and what it means. Yeah. Um, I really hope you enjoy this. I really hope you're excited as much as us to be back. Yay. Um, let us know what you think and share the love at Creative Impact Core on Instagram and just let us know what you want to see next. Thank you so much, Ames, for being back with me. We are gonna now take it away and let Anna introduce herself in our interview.
2: Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for having me in your lovely home.
2: You're very welcome yeah, It's uh, quite nice to spend an afternoon sort of at home. And <laughs> <laughs> just chatting. <laughs> it's a bit more luxurious than where I actually work from on those days. So mm-hmm. it's a bit of a break in right? How many of you are now in the warehouse? So every day there are three of us. Although just last week we had someone accept a new position. So very shortly we will be becoming a team of four. Of course we do have people who work from you know, for the brand mm. our house Um, but in terms of the everyday operations, at the minute it's three. And
0: so it's, it's still fairly
2: modest, fairly, fairly
0: close knit, which is nice. I find that um I was talking to different people actually at different events when you talk to fellow sort of people. I mean if, <laughs> I mean we've been going on how long have we going on
2: for we've been going about three years now. We still have startup. Yes, yeah, so
0: right. Yeah. We are yeah. technically not, but we kinda are. So oh, exactly. really? how long have you been
2: there now? I think it's six now. Wow. So I
0: think it's yeah, five. So. Theoretically, the old school startup was used to be five from what I remember. So we're not, but I count as such men nevertheless because I think it's more about I think the way that you work and the mm-hmm. way that the company structures sometimes is the time is relative when it comes to this kind of stuff. Of course. But I like the fact that we are talking, I think probably a year ago now and you were saying like you were still the two of you just Mm -hmm. or something like that and that's the kind of thing that's after two years you were still just the two of you guys you and your brother yeah so that that must have been like a big step to get the
2: first person in it is and particularly when your co-founder is your sibling because the way that we work was so informal and to a point you know it still is and that's what's really nice about being a startup we both came from very formal corporate backgrounds and know like it was pretty much expected that I would wear heels and a suit and an element of makeup every day and it that's something I do not miss at all (laughs) um and you know there were loads of structures and, and things in place that everyone had to follow um but that is you know having our first member of staff all of a sudden we had to start thinking about things like holiday planners and um, well, holiday in general, because we I mean, <laughs> haven't even taken any, um, but, but formalising things and creating, you know, a a, a more professional working environment. But no, it was a really big step, a really exciting step. And now, now I think we've got one mm-hmm. under our belts, uh, that's kind of the, the biggest step, and hopefully now we can start to grow it
0: quicker. And I guess it's that kind of thing as well, where regardless of whether you're, obviously you are a product-based brand, but I think a lot of people are, sometimes they dab into different fingers in different pies and mm. maybe they're more service or more like personal brand, call it this way. Mm-hmm. Cause that's I think The next step one is also partnerships and stuff, but you will still find that at some point most people need to hire somebody, whether it is the virtual assistant, mm-hmm. or whether it is, as you say, you were talking to me that you have people work for the brand and not brand like people in the brand. And mm-hmm. I think that's also very important if you feel you want to keep yourself lean yeah. because of reasons. I am very much of an advocate of having external consultants or freelancers that can do some of the stuff for you or with you because at the end of the day, I'm like, why Mm -hmm. having so much stuff in house when it's a lot to handle, especially for a young business Yeah, to wrap your head around?
2: And we find also that with certain services, let's say that we are seeking out of house, we go through times where we needed a lot Mm -hmm. and then really quiet times as well. So it would almost be like we'd be paying someone a monthly salary and there might be two, three, four months where we're barely using them at all. And cash flow is a huge struggle Mm -hmm. in the first years of launching a business as anyone who's attempted it will know. (laughs) Um, so again, you just have to be really smart and really kind of, um, creative, I guess, and utilize people when you really need them yes. and be as efficient as possible in those times and then when you don't need them you know you don't need them so um having that option that you can pluck in and pluck out come out from is works really well for us at this stage
0: and i find that in like i was talking to obviously in the first season of the podcast we chat a lot with uh, creators who are also doing dabbing onto the social element or photographers so yes. it's kind of more this is the main ones anyway, when you think about it. And a lot of them are social media, again, as well. But obviously, a lot of them are literally photographing, creating content and visuals. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, for them as well, it means that you will happen to have a portfolio of clients that is relatively established in a way that a lot of them will come back to you and, mm-hmm. you know regularly. Mm-hmm. But still, you have the element of doing other stuff, mm-hmm. doing your own thing, and then also having a portfolio of clients, which I think is also from a freelancer point of view, if you want to call them freelancer.
1: Mm-hmm
0: the best place to be because again, I've been a freelancer, freelancing as you would do when you would just take projects, random mm-hmm. people at all times. And I've been a coach as well. And both of them require you to find constantly new clients and it's just exhausting. Yeah. Sort of yeah. And so it's that kind of thing What I think sometimes you have to look at the other side, it benefits also the people that are a bit more agile in their abilities and skills. Mm-hmm. And it helps you guys as well. Yeah. Now the tricky question is, have you already handed over any of your social?
2: <laughs> um, the answer to that is no. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what I ask you all the time. Because yeah. That's what I know is you're like... We get asked about that all the time and um, people, which I think is probably a compliment, soon assume we have, um, and, but on the flip side of that I think it's probably one of the things that brands do hand over quite early on because it is so time-consuming and There are loads of people who are into it, and in theory, you can employ someone to take it on for not a huge amount of money. But for me personally, I think that we have spent three years now refining our message and our communication and our visual identity. You know, we've gone through a rebrand, we've worked with copywriters, and now I feel like I get it. (laughs) It's taken me a while, you know, I was not an expert. And... I didn't have a huge interest in social media in my personal life before starting this brand. Um, through my experience over the last few years, I have only become increasingly aware of how very important it is. For so many people, it's their first contact with your brand. Agreed. And I've also been in major retailer meetings where I've been sat there across from the buyers and they'll ask me within the first few minutes, I might still be giving you know, a bit of an elevator pitch and they'll say, oh, what's your Instagram handle? And, you know, they're going on to see what's our following, how engaged is our audience, um, and those sorts of things. So I know how hugely important it is. So it's a difficult one. I I, I will inevitably hand it over uh, in the not too distant future, but for now, I quite enjoy it. I've always considered myself a fairly creative person. And I think, our audience is really growing at the moment. So, again, when that's happening, you feel motivated. You feel like you're getting it right. And, um, I mean, I definitely have preferences towards some or others. I yeah. don't enjoy Twitter. I don't massively engage with LinkedIn. Uh, starting to pick up Pinterest at the minute, which was something that we didn't put a priority on in the past. Uh, But now we're starting to see that that really helps me. You definitely should. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As a visual brand, but Mm. like a very strong uh, branding as well, I would say you should.
0: Just (laughs) randomly giving social media (laughs) advice on the podcast. I'll take it. I'll take advice
2: whenever and wherever it comes. Um, But no, that's definitely something we are starting to see is worthwhile. putting, putting, you know, some some emphasis on. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's so
0: many social channels. One of the things I would say, again, coming back from Farm Dispensers' social media consulting advice, Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I say to a lot of our members, obviously, but also to some of the brands that I've worked with in the past, is you don't have to be everywhere. Mm -hmm. As in, relatively speaking, obviously, I don't know exactly what retailers are looking for or buyers are looking for, but um, obviously, whether we like it or not, unfortunately or fortunately, people will go to your Instagram because it's your portfolio, yeah. full stop. However, everything else, what I've seen, especially when it comes to the Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest even, even if I think at some point even other people are going to look into like how well you're performing on that.
1: yeah, Because
0: it literally drives traffic mainly. That's yeah. kind of like what people are interested in. But I would say it doesn't have to be that if you don't enjoy it or if you don't see it actually working for your brand in mm-hmm. you know whether it's going to be efficient. Some people use some of them as dormant in the way that people can still tag you right and just see but something more I just say again if you're a brand it's a bit different but if it's an individual I say literally delete it it's just there to like make it look like you disappeared mm-hmm. like in a heist in like 20, <laughs> 20 2010 and then it's like oh my god somebody like kidnapped them and they're dead mm-hmm. because they look at you and you stop tweeting so for me of some of them especially with twitter is literally a constant feed of information yeah I'm quite a uh, like less than I love them all aside from Snapchat is the only one that I just I can't <laughs> Meh. Snapchat. Meh yeah no, I don't just um, like nah. Everything <laughs> else I love you Twitter I mean that's why you know social media is one of my main expertise and one of them for ten years because mm. I love it. Mm. So but I would say not everybody has to be everywhere. And I sure. think sometimes you forget then you feel like that
2: urge. Um, yeah. I mean I think Instagram's definitely our focus. Um, and I think one of the main things that I've learned with that is that I think a mistake that so many brands make is that they use it as a one-way platform to push out content. And, you know, they spend all of their time curating their message and getting their visual and then they post. And they Mm -hmm. think that that's the end of it. Whereas what I think we've come to realise is that it's such a powerful tool for communication and, and encouraging feedback from your audience and engaging your audience and keeping them interested. So, you know, asking questions in captions and... I mean, our DMs, for example, are constant. I can imagine. <laughs> and it's But it's, again, that's another thing that's held me back from handing it over because the detailed information that people are requesting in this age of transparency and uh, people really wanting to know a lot about the brands that they're investing their money in, which is fantastic and we encourage it. Um, that's something that I need to make sure. Whoever is managing our social is really giving the proper educated, thorough information back, because we get asked a lot of questions on there. And it's um, it's brilliant. You know, I'm so happy that people are interested in what we're doing to that extent. Um, but it's important that we're responsible with what we're saying back. Um, and I guess we've encouraged that because we try to keep our, you know, early adopter audiences invested in our journey because they... They trusted us at the beginning and they're still with us now. And I think that the way in which we've gone about putting information out there has kind of led to that loyalty uh, and encouraging questioning and, um, you know, looking at what we're doing at every level. Instagram is a massive customer service tool right now oh, like, it's crazy
0: and I think as you said people don't realize that and that's when you kind of miss out yeah on we're quite lucky that obviously for us Amy does it and she knows everything in and out anyway mm-hmm. so that's kind of like an easy step it's just but some people still think it's me it's like hi hey, yeah. fab and it's like <laughs> Amy's like <laughs>
2: <don't> do that. <laughs> but then again
0: because usually it's a question about us rather than about how am I doing mm-hmm. how is my cat? <laughs> my cat actually but it's not about that kind of stuff so they usually use my personal one in that way but it is true. Like, uh, you would see the way that people interact with your in Instagram, you will see usually from the type of engagement that you get mm-hmm. or lack thereof. As mm-hmm. you said, like, if you don't use it that way, then people most quickly stop to actually try and engage because, you know, they're not, not going to get a response back. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's exactly. exactly. What would you say is your <laughs> ratio? If I were to ask you for a ratio of the time that you spend, maybe curating, not just posting, because posting is relatively forward, mm-hmm. but curating posts weekly and uh, actually engaging in different varieties, whether it's the
2: M's and stuff. ratios so not so Oh, that's tricky. So I used to use uh, different apps, things like Hootsuite, in order yeah. to pre-schedule everything that I was posting. Um, and then I found that that just didn't necessarily, for me, make things more efficient, because lots of the apps don't let third-party apps automatically post and things like that. Mm-hmm. So now I do it a few days in advance, um, but I follow a format and it's actually a visual pattern so for example we have uh, these what I call coloured tiles <laughs> um, that there are four different categories of etc etc so I, I have got this in my head so I, I'm, I'm planning ahead basically on let see either a Sunday or a Monday I write in my diary I really like to write physically <laughs> <Cute. Yeah. laughs> really I have no books and physical diaries rather than using my phone it just helps me I like to be more kind of visual Um, and I will write down Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for the week and I will plan what I would like to put out and it's basically a mixture of different things so it will be customer focused content so reviews, things like that um, selfies that people have taken using the products and what they think about them bits of press that we might have been featured in news, events, um, positive environmental news as well so we try to keep a really positive spin on things and so long story short I spend a decent chunk of a Monday on it, let's say just under half a day. And then the response is ad hoc all the time, um, but it's just here and there. We post about 10 to 15 stories a day, um, but that doesn't take much time because that's all also customer generated.
0: Yeah, which is fair enough because I think usage content is really good on stories. It's just such an
2: easy way as well to plan it and not plan it. And again, this is all about building trust, right? And I think it's the brand is biased. (laughs) Of course, I'm going (laughs) to say, oh my God, our serum is the best serum in the world. Um, But I'm bound to say that. So when other people are saying it for us, I say, yeah, why wouldn't I repost that? so that's kind of ad hoc, and then in the evenings I tend to post. We post every single day to main feed uh, once a day, and that performs best in the evenings for us. So I come home from work, and then at around eight o'clock I will publish whatever I have planned, and that doesn't take too long. Uh, and then depending on what it is, so before Christmas mm-hmm. we did we had three products launch, and we were doing teasers for those to draw up interest uh, for at least four to five days before each one would launch. And at those times, you know, when we had people guessing what the products might be, the amount of comments was huge. And we tried to respond to all mm. of them. Um, so in those times, yeah, of course, i will be putting more effort into it. But this is sort of like in front of the TV uh, kind of vibe. So it doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't, I don't really feel like it interrupts my life. Um, but I tried to get most of the social done on a Monday morning. And then after that, it's just an ad
0: yeah okay fair enough and I see that there's like an element even in the policy there's an element of like curation despite having a, a strategy and I think so that's one um one of our courses about Instagram, and obviously, it's kind of like I was thinking about how to make it as valuable as possible and take it off from what you would have as a course on Instagram, which is get a certain number of followers, yeah so you know, like I it is like you get get you ten million followers no so when like, I scrapped it back and I got back from my social media and marketing background I was like actually I'm going teach people how to use strategy to make their or experience in Instagram a lot more structured because at the end of the day if you're making money out of it if you're having partnerships out of it it's part of your job mm-hmm. so how can you make it so that you actually can see results when it comes to the performance rather than just the following because I think Yes. Yeah. Metrics are different, and they will shift. So sometimes you will have more following. Sometimes you have more clicks. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you have more saves. It really depends on what Mm -hmm. you're doing. So how can you actually make sure that you're constantly growing, but you can actually shift the metrics depending on your goals? Um, And that's kind of why we went again with the rebranding, which I'll talk about yours in a second. Mm -hmm. Nice segue (laughs) on the (laughs) rebranding, kids. Very (laughs) smooth. This is a smooth segue. (laughs) Um, But it really helped me understanding that it's. One of the aims of social media, like any kind of marketing, marketing is not there for the sake of your ego, sorry to say. Mm-hmm. And again, mm-hmm. I think it's different when your personal brand is almost harsher than a, yes. a oh, brand.: Yes yeah, yeah. It's also to help you with different goals that you have regarding where you want to go. Mm-hmm. So I really like the fact that you spend it's not just the posting, it's just you spend that time having your visual and also kind of like, almost categorized strategy that helps you really getting people what they want but yeah I everybody mean, has a sense and again it kind of ties in I guess with what your overall marketing is mm. and I've seen them talking about different things throughout everywhere
2: so that people have a bit of a loop on what yeah. they expect yeah and you're just making sure you're pressing on all those different touch points um, and engaging with the things that you know that your audience are interested in whether that's product environment um, issues in veganism whatever it might be uh, you know that every once in a while you're dipping into those pockets uh, which is important. That's what people want to know about. Exactly. And also, now,
0: segue again. <laughs> there it goes. Smooth segue. <laughs> let's talk about your rebrand. Um, because people might not know that probably was like 10. So I met Anna at about probably 10 shows before properly we. Talked, and every time we we're gonna be like, It's me, it's the person that tried, you know, as crabs because was the first thing you had on your hand for the 17th time, and I love it. Literally, every single show I was like, Hi, and she was like, oh, <laughs>
2: This, <is laughs> <a fine>. just, <laughs> this is one again.
0: Uh, and I know you as um, okay oh, yeah. mm-hmm. So, one question that I have before you go and t- tell me a bit through like the whole journey of the rebranding, which I think it's such an important thing because everybody will do at some point in some ways, yes, like, I yeah. personally find. Was part of the thinking also, and this is me also being a foreigner, obviously. Saying Opia, sometimes I kind of feel like I'm saying it wrong, or I don't know how to say it. <coughs> yeah. So was part of the thinking also? Let's make it. Let's find a name that is easier to say as well. Hundred percent.
2: Okay, great. So I'm just One million. Percent. <laughs> that was probably the primary motivation. So for those of you who don't know, the original brand name was Optiat which was a, an acronym for one person's trash is another's treasure. Uh, so obviously every product that we put out is made with a core repurposed ingredient. So we're all about the circular economy, keeping things in use as long as possible and trying to challenge people's perceptions of what they consider as waste. So we thought that that was a great way to succinctly sum up what we were doing. However, as we came to realize, there were lots of shortfalls to it as well. The first was that no one knew how to pronounce it. (laughs) Thank God it was me. Honestly, so two, like, yeah, at least a year and a half in, uh, my friends were still Mm. getting it wrong. And (laughs) they're like my best friends. And I was like, wow, okay, how can I expect someone in France or Italy or Belgium or America who's never met me? has not heard the brand story, Is just seeing this new product on a shelf to get this when my best friends can't and they hear me rabbit on about this all the time. Uh, so that was the first thing. And then the second thing was that the amount of words that make up the story behind the name are such that it's, it's just too much to try to communicate. Yeah. And when we talk to the guys who help us out with our branding, they talk about the space on the front of the packaging as, as the real estate that you have to work with. Yeah. So if we were to actually communicate that whole message, we would not have space to say, oh, this is a body scrub, oh, it's a lemongrass fence, <laughs> you know, etc., which is what you really need to be saying. So one of the major motivations for the rebrand was to find a name that did the work for us in a much more obvious way, both visually and in the actual choice of word which is where UpCircle came from. And, I mean, I think it does it. Yeah, it does it does, doesn't it? (laughs) It draws on lots of things that make us who we are. Obviously, UpCircle alludes to upcycling, which is what each of our products do. Um, The whole circular aspect is alluding to the circular economy. And then we try to be very uplifting and motivating in the message that we're going across. So this idea that every little helps and that we can all together make difference uh, with regards to environmental issues, and then when you come to the visual identity of, like, the logo, the kind of handwritten style of it is intentional because the line never ends. So each letter is joined, and then there are circles that loop together so that it's never ending. And again, that's coming back to this whole closed loop uh, situation that we are trying to encourage. And again, it has an upward tilt, which goes back to that uplifting element of the brand. So. As you can tell, every fine detail of it has been considered and and thought about. Uh, And I would also just mention that we were put off in the very early days from investors, uh, from putting the recycled element of what we were doing at the forefront of the brand. So they were like, okay, yeah, it's cool, it's innovative, it's different, but I don't know how the beauty industry is going to react to this. Um, So we almost got a bit scared and hid it a little bit. So we were, I guess, trying to appeal to too many people. We were thinking, yeah. right, we've got our eco-warrior, green conscious audience who are going to lap it up anyway, but then we've also got the more aspirational buyers who want something only because it's cool and they don't care about whether it's, you know, natural and kind of ethical, they just want something that is trendy or something that is just results driven and it's going to work for their skin um but then I think again with the original couple of years that we spent as out, we learned that we can do all of those things at once and so long as you can prove to people that your product works um then they're on board with the story so we wanted to actually shout about it and we're proud of it so why should we like it?
0: I like that and I think there's a little a tiny little lesson in there as well which is the, the hidden one. there was some pretty obvious ones but then there's the mm. hidden one of like the first name that you come up with not always sometimes it sticks forever because it's kind of clever and as you say he mm-hmm. says what you need to say in the tin in every single way sometimes it just doesn't because it's only very tied into a specific time frame yeah. or a specific event or a specific part of an industry that maybe is changing and um, and it's okay to be able to evolve from there in order to be more clear about your messaging and I think that's where a lot of people spend so much time when you, they're creating a brand, they're creating an idea, really trying to nail it, which is nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. But I think until you're actually doing it, until you're actually also going to another brand that uh, is pushing the product out and they had bought their the domain and everything with the name and then yeah. literally by the last minute, they completely change it because I it know like, it's not us. So right. you need to appreciate that that will happen at the beginning because mm-hmm. I think it's really hard and mm-hmm. just a very short story about our own rebranding we thought about a couple of names that were so cool and then you Google and you start looking into it. They sounded cool. They sounded like, you know, very, what well, the industry is now-ish mm, kind of things. Yeah. Cool and edgy and sparkles glitter. Cool. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, the 70 million ones, they're all the same. It's was like, oh, yeah. and I was like, damn it. So every single time we got one, it was like, no, I just found somebody on Instagram that's literally that. Yeah. And eventually we found out which was Pretty obvious when you see it, uh, but it just came from asking. I like, want well, just let's just kind of take something that is a bit more away mm-hmm. from what we used to be, um, but it literally encapsulates what we are, and yeah. it's just not what the industry maybe is used to right now. Right, and it feels a bit less. Again, sparkles, glitters, kill, babes, boss. Eh. We just got away from that because we're like, it's just time to move on, mm-hmm. and it feels a bit scary. I just say it feels a bit scary because you're putting yourself out there and just shredding a bit what what was a, a bit of a comfort zone I guess as well because yeah. I feel like you just you hide, as you say you're hiding a bit you're like I'm fine this is what we do this is what we are you don't
2: need to know anything else but mm-hmm. what if you actually challenge people a bit yeah and that's that's kind of what happens when you're the first to do something or when you're the pioneer of something um I think I don't know any other skincare brands who are putting you know tackling issues of waste it's <laughs> true it's a very polarizing thing to be doing in the beauty industry um, and so you know that comes with a lot of challenges and actually I think that is one of the other points that made us nervous with our first name is that we didn't want the association with trash or, or waste mm-hmm. so much because what we're trying to demonstrate is that we shouldn't be throwing away these powerful you know skin loving ingredients that are really high quality so to have one person's trash is another's treasure is a, kind of making us think that this is rubbish that we're putting on our yeah, skin, yeah, yeah, which is yeah, not yeah. at all what we want. We're, you know, again, so take coffee for example. So we recycle coffee grounds into our exfoliators, into our serum. That coffee gets even higher in antioxidants through the brewing process. So it's arguably even better for your skin. The quality doesn't deplete in any way. Uh, so why would we be communicating that as if it's trash? Because it's not, it's, it's treasure. <laughs> um, so again, um, getting rid of that association in the brand name was something that I think was a good decision for us as well. When it
0: comes to the upping, uplifting element, mm. there is also an element of education that goes through your marketing and your content, as you said as well. Positive news, but still nevertheless education. How, in your opinion, maybe like from how you're doing it, I guess as well, you can make that part of the conversation still engaging could you argue that i'm feeling very much like a professional
2: could you argue
0: i <laughs> just my, my, my very very thick answers. Anna. could you argue that it could be also because now people are already more interested in knowing the element of education around waste and sustainability mm-hmm. or you also find that there's a way that you communicate it that makes it a bit less i don't want to say the word boring because it's not boring to me mm-hmm. but you know what i mean
2: a bit less um yeah, I think pre- preaching, you know, education on that way. Well, I think, I think what people like about the information that we put out is that it is positive. You know, okay. it's so easy. You, you can go online and you just get bombarded with negative, horrifying headlines that make you just think, oh my gosh, the situation is so bad. How on earth am I going to do anything to make it better? I'm just one person. Um, and then you almost don't want to try so instead, we like to just drop out these nice little bits of progress or, you know, individuals who are doing amazing things or research that's coming out into bioplastics or um, anything, you know, because that's things that I come across through my research. So again, as a, as a young brand, I think it's really important that we see our business as constantly evolving. Yeah. You know, I might have put out a range of scrubs right at the beginning, they were the first product we put out, but I still don't consider them as done. You know they can always be improved, and we're always looking back at things uh, and seeing how we can refine them and make them better. So one huge element of that is packaging, and we are not packaging packaging uh, producers. So I'm not in control of that element. So I have to keep myself educated on what's out there and what latest innovations are. And I find through this research these amazing bits of um, you know pioneering developments that are happening all over the world and I think I find that fascinating and clearly our audience find these, these, um, these developments interesting as well so that's the sort of information that I might you know communicate to people and again it's, it's a really great way of asking our audience what, what have you, has anyone else seen some amazing stuff recently tell us about it you know and um, our audience of course is, is interested in, in ethical issues but I think it's a nice way to engage other people who perhaps aren't, um, who might just be massively into skincare and then all of a sudden, you know, they, they might have tried our scrub just because they hear it's good. And then they're finding out about different topics that they weren't previously interested in. And that can only really be a good thing as well. How do you think uh, the beauty industry
0: is evolving when it comes to that? Because obviously one of the big things for us I'm talking about the rebranding, but I think it just we looked at the rebranding as a way to look at the trends and the big trend in again, I'm going to use the buzzword making an impact because that's part of it is that wellness is a great industry that we've we started you know as being part of and now wellness is morphing into so many things. You could argue yeah. that social wellness, personal wellness, and stuff. And obviously, when it comes to that, obviously it's touching beauty in different ways. Mm-hmm like it would touch anything else. But it's more about how can that fit into our lifestyles. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting to see because, again, there's been such a big divide between the green beauty brands and everybody else. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm interested in seeing, obviously, because you said you like to research. Mm. A little (laughs) analogous. So I'm imagining there's also some of that that you've been kind of seeing and I'm kind of wondering if that is also going to be shifting in a way where it's not just about, okay, Grain ingredients are great, but how is the mainstream stand to tackle that? Because obviously, we want people to buy circle But if
2: changes are happening throughout, it's still a good thing for everyone. Absolutely, I think what's quite interesting in across different industries is that something might hit in a big way, and it will be a new focus in one industry, and then it slowly starts to drip into other industries. So you know, going to the gym and exercising and yoga. Uh, I mean, that was quite a long time ago. Um, and then that went into overall wellness. And then you've got veganism, which started in food, and now that's coming into skincare and clothing and fashion and things like that as well. And they do just slowly expand out. And I think that not that long ago, people weren't necessarily that fussed about what they were putting on their skin until yeah. they really started caring about what they were consuming internally, i.e. food and drink. And now that's starting to cross over into into skincare, and beauty, and makeup, saying cruelty free and things like that. Um, of course, the first major scandal in the beauty industry was the, was the microbead scandal that happened, know, maybe five years ago now. Um, and I think that all of these come all of these things come initially from a point of ignorance from the consumer perspective. It's only once you're made aware of it that the big change starts to happen, or something just grabs you. I mean, if you look at all of the David the stuff, or you know, that horrible video of that turtle with the plastic straw mm-hmm. in its nose. Oh, all of a sudden plastic straws are banned. Or, you know, that famous photo of the seahorse with the earbud. Oh, all of a sudden we're going to be phasing out plastic earbuds. And that's brilliant. But it takes for something to really capture your imagination for things to change in a big way. Um, but yes, going back to skincare now, it's almost like vegan skincare is the norm. And when we were writing, when we were working with our copywriters, uh, they wrote this genius sentence which is something along the lines of um, natural is the new normal and normal is boring Up I go one step further with their waste pricing formulations and I was like oh that's pretty really catchy <laughs> um, because, glad I hired you <laughs> because it's true you know now everyone's followed suit and it's what's next and I think what has made us as a brand really catapult at the rate that we have I mean, when I look back, we rebranded in December of last year, so it's been just over a year. Mm -hmm. And the amount of retailers that we have under our belt in a year, given that we are just a, what, for six months we were a two-person team, we're now uh, a three-person team, is, is crazy. And I think that is truly because we are actually a differentiated brand. There's no one else who has the ethos that we have. And... That will be different for different brands. And I can't predict what that will be in the next year or five years. Um, but we know what ours is. And that's what's making, you know, press want to write about us and things like that. Um, I think waterless beauty will be a big trend that's coming up. But um, well, it's exciting. Who knows? Who knows what the next big thing will be? Um, but I'm sure it will cross over different industries and, and will continue to inspire each other in different
0: sectors. but you know, I do like what you said as well about um, becoming a differentiator because I've seen it, uh, well, one uh, first episode the first before after the pilot was Pip and Pip and that. Oh,
1: yeah. And, you know, it's
0: that kind of thing where people are the first doing something different mm-hmm. and then you kind of feel like, oh, my God, and then everybody else is going to do what I'm doing. Yeah, But let's be honest, nobody's stopping Pip. No. And it's not just because they weren't the first ones because you can be the first one and then disappears because you become the first one and then you keep being you know, creating your brand and going with your brand and your message. Mm. But you ride on that. And our, our, our friends as well, are one of the Planet pizza also was interviewing yes. and job. Yes. Same thing. Obviously, there are other frozen pizza or other vegan pizzas. Mm-hmm. But you become the first one at doing something really well. And you have a really strong messaging behind it. Of course. And then that, that is the legacy that then you bring on. And I yeah. think, as you say, that's kind of where things really start to click yeah so renew I, I do believe there's something in there
2: and again just that idea I think if you are someone who has been a pioneer in something you probably have that innate characteristic of wanting to continue that mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like I was saying about wanting to constantly evolve I feel that through every element of our business so okay we've we've made huge achievements when it comes to coffee waste you know um Three months ago, we hit our first milestone of having saved a 100 tons of coffee waste from landfill. And again, that's just myself and my brother. So it seems like a crazy achievement. But then why would we stop there, you know? Um, And that's why we started looking into different categories of ingredients to work with and pushing our brand constantly to the next step, to the next innovations, to the next ingredients that we can work with and staying at the top of our game. Because people will. They put your heels. They will love your idea if it's a good idea, and you want to stay at the forefront. Now, last question—the hardest question. Oh, I'm scared. <laughs> um, is the question that we
0: ask everyone soon? Okay. If you could have brunch with anyone,
2: dead or alive, who would this magical person be? Oh my goodness, that's so hard. Oh, I feel like this is really predictable and potentially too. Obvious, I'll tell you so. <laughs> You'll see my little eyes just going like, <laughs> like everyone says it Oh well, it's relevant to me. But David Attenborough, I just he's everyone's granddad, no? Like,
0: after <laughs> you need to guess now, actually, who said that to?
2: <laughs> Only one person said that to what, someone said that,
0: yeah, just one person so does. Yeah. Um, and they what said exactly what you said, they it's not pit. <laughs> The worst
2: Amazing. It was
0: really funny. like You and people, the only ones who said, like, yeah, everybody must say this. I was like,
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Evan mm-hmm. And I was like, No, you're the first one. Oh, and you're the second okay, one. Well, like, That's not the worst.
2: At no. least I'm not the 20th. Yeah. No, but you're the second one sitting. Oh, like, he's my just amazing. Name. And I just think, I don't know. He's just inspired such amazing change. And he's just a national treasure, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, I would be honored. I think anyone would be honored. I just think. Yeah, that voice I can listen to him <laughs> talk to me for hours whilst well, so you um, eating your like, <laughs> <you're laughs> eating your brunch be like talk to me David I'll have well, my avo <laughs> just listen to <laughs> his amazing stories which I'm sure he has millions of well thank
0: you so much for having me in your humble pad no thanks for coming well, it was my pleasure. pleasure thank you <laughs> thank you so much for listening don't forget to check our show notes for more juicy goodness about this episode if you loved it Please take some time to give us 5 stars on iTunes. And make sure that you let us know your haha's and takeaways on Instagram at creativeimpactco. Also, you can find out more about us on our website at creativeimpact.group.